Hello, Julian. Hello, Mike. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. And tonight, we're going to talk about life, death, and screw-ups. So join us as we talk to ex-president of the British Veterinary Association, Robin Hargreaves. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. He's here. <gasps> He's here, is he? Oh, oh, good evening, Robin. <laughs> Quick, let's talk about his books. I like the Is way he's organised his books. He's got ah. them all organised by colour look. I think that's brilliant. Now, he's, he's clearly bought those books from a bookseller saying, I'm doing a lot of Zoom meetings. Can you make yeah. my book yeah. cover look more it's interesting? I, I, I'm, appearing on, I'm appearing on Veterinary Ramblings next week. I've got to appear intelligent. Have I, have I in the bloody shirt? <laughs> <laughs> I've ironed this pullover. It, honestly, it passes for a night out, does it? I tell you, I've missed it. <laughs> Robin, hi. You may not remember me. I think we haven't met occasionally at BSAVA. But, um... I was trying to rack my brains as to whether we really had, or, and I must admit. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I remember meeting you because you were at the time BVA president. But there's no reason for you to have remembered meeting me because I wasn't. It makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> yeah, but... Well, imagine, imagine the atmosphere was very much like this. Oh, it was, it was, yeah. There, there was a Guinness involved, I think. Ah, great. great. <laughs> Cheers. There's, there's yeah. always a Guinness involved, isn't there? You're in, you're in um, mixed practice, aren't you, up in... Uh... Well, yes, I am in the practices mix, but I've not done farm work here at all. We, 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 they were quite forward-thinking. I came here in the, in the late 80s, and, and for some years before that, I'd already split the business. So the farm vets did farm work and the smaller vets did smaller work back in the sort of 80, 83, 84, which was quite, quite novel at that time. So we're, so we're still mixed, but we've only just this last 18 to two years got the farm guys in a different building. We were in the same building and went up to them. It's, it's very different now because we never see them. It used to be... In the same having a brew together and stuff, which we don't do Gosh, and are they run as two separate businesses or, or the same? Well, they are run it, yes, in, in that they've got their own staff. And they and, and David, we've got one one director partner who runs the farm side, and then there's three of us actually on the farm side. And we make our own decisions. We, 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 we you know, we, we sort of tell him what we're going to spend the money on, but really we rubber stamp each other's decisions. We don't we don't stand each other's way, but the money all goes in the same bank account, right. Robin, I mean, it's, it's been a long-standing practice in, in coal in the area, hasn't it? I mean, longer, than, longer than we thought. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, I, I think I understood. Did I not hear that you were looking up uh, information to, to yeah. celebrate the centenary? Yeah, we, we, uh, we I have the guy who hired me had retired and I went to see him and we were chatting through the history of the place. And he, and he sort of almost conversationally said, as far as he was aware, the practice started in 1921. And that was, you know, probably eight or ten years ago. So we just kept that date in mind, and we kept thinking, oh, you know, in 2021, we'll be able to do some celebrations. And it all got a bit sort of dumped on by COVID, so we, don't, we can't really have the open days and stuff we were planning to do. But then one of our long-standing colleagues retired, a lady who's worked for us since before I came, so she'd been working at the practice for 39 years, and she retired. When she retired, she did a little bit of digging around and got in touch with a friend who did genealogy and what have you. Anyway, she found out that on the census that there was a guy living in the building who was a lodger to Mr. Mr. Rankin. We knew Mr. Rankin definitely started the practice. And he had a lodger in 1911 who was down in, on the census as occupation veterinary surgeon. He said, oh, me. So, so he was working <laughs> in, in the building in 1911. We were 10 years bloody late for the century. So, oh, so you could have had your open day. <laughs> we're quite proud of it. Stuffed with our celebrations. They've done it in 2011. Wow. Well, I mean, that's the earliest we've got. So, Ranking was definitely living there and, and he probably started on his own. So, the fact they had a lodger who was also a veterinary surgeon really, at the time meant that he probably goes pre 1911, but we don't know how far. Wow. Yes, I suppose in those days you didn't have to register, did you, to, to become a practice in terms of health and safety and trading standards and things, did you? <laughs> I suspect not. We don't know when he actually started seeing animals in the building because it's a private house. The last guy to live in it was a bloke who hired me and he moved out in the early 60s and then it, we took it over completely. So he was working from it, but he would have been doing 
draft horses, farm horses and livestock and stuff. And it would have been just going out of the building. But I mean, the, the, the distances must have been astronomical because the practice in Burnley grew out of it and the practice in Skipton grew out of it. Well, there's 19 of us. There's, a, there's, a, there's 15 or 16 in Skipton. There's probably six or seven in, in the practice in Burnley that grew out of it. I mean, the, the Skipton practice goes up to right up the dales, nearly to Halls, and we go down to Aslington and Bake Up. And that area, presumably, he more or less did it on a motorbike. You know, it's amazing. Gosh. Wow. God, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you're still doing all your out-of-hours, aren't you? We are, yeah, both sides. We have two vets on every night. I'm on tomorrow night. I'm on 24 hours tomorrow. Do you get enough new 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 vets coming in for that? Because I, I, I'm on the South Coast, and we always used to do our out-of-hours. About five years ago, we were finding it impossible to recruit anyone to do out-of-hours in our neck of the woods. And that's why, in the end, we dropped it. We just thought we're not going to get anyone. It's very, very, very difficult, and we have to be very mindful of how we look after people during the day yes, we have to make it good it does make you watch what you're doing and that everybody's happy because recruitment is an absolute nightmare but we have been very fortunate we, we have recruited we thought we'd take a brand new graduate on a couple of years ago two candidates came from they were both so extraordinarily good at interviews that we said well we'll take them both we learned our lesson that you're better off taking a gem and it's costing you a bit of money than having to look again in six or eight months' time. So we took these two recent graduates on and they went straight into it. When we start, we're on call and they, they sort of back us up and they come in and observe and watch. <laughs> we, we let them go to bed at midnight, don't disturb them after midnight for a few weeks and then maybe months and then they start being on call and we're, we're on a regular rotated backup. We know exactly who the director is that they're going to call. And that goes on for three or four months and then, then we come loose. All the young graduates know they can ring us. So... We have a lot. It puts a lot of a lot of weight on us. We, if you, I think, if you just said you're on call, you know, I'm in the other man for the weekend, then you wouldn't get anybody. I think we have to really put a lot of ourselves into it. Mm. But, but now we're the only people doing it. So much as it is tiring and it does does loom up a bit when your weekends coming up, we feel it's a you know it's a massive differentiator for us now. And and people mm. locally they love it. You know, they absolutely love it. Yeah, I do. I was going to say I do miss doing it. It's a bit of a lie. I mean, no, no one really likes doing out of hours but i miss the fact that that we used to be able to offer that to our to our clients as as frustrating as it is at two in the morning you get a phone call you're waking up there's then a moment's relief when you think oh it's this is bloggins yes. how you doing are you all right no yeah. really well ralph not well oh come in come in that's fine everyone and the, the, there is a real sense of belonging to the community there isn't there with that and if they are an appreciative client who's glad you're there that takes a bit of the sting out of it. They're really happy that you answer the phone. Then you've got to see it. It's, it's like it's not a problem until it becomes a problem. So it's not a problem when you ring, and it's not a problem when you're driving down there. And it's not a problem when you let them in the door. And it's not really a problem when you're first examining it. It, it. it might become a problem then. And the problem is we make it a problem way too early. We get wound mm, up about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And actually, like you say, the, the buzz, if you sort something out at half two in the morning and people go out and have glad. Honestly, I come home and I don't want to. I, don't, I, I read a book or something. I, I get quite fizzy and I don't want to. I can't get. Yeah, you settle. can't. You can't settle down. You can't settle, can you? But it's a good feeling. When I say to people, there's been somebody on call in Stanley House every second of every day since 1911. Wow, that's incredible to think, isn't it? Wow, quite a thing to say. And I can yeah, say, it with, absolutely amazing. Say it with absolute confidence. You know, that, that guy when he was on his own, he would ring him any, any other day, night, and we've been the same. So, although I love you know, to get home and, you know, 6, 6.30 every single night and know it's done. I, I, or equally, I'd like to get to the end of my stretch and say, I did it right from the beginning, right from the yeah. end. You know, I did it right to the end and I never stopped. Yeah. There is a great sense of achievement, isn't there, with doing that? And, and uh, I think in some ways, the, the, the new graduates coming out who never do encore and will never do encore, mm. I think they're missing out on a huge variety of cases they wouldn't see otherwise and a few life's experiences they wouldn't see otherwise when i was on the farm and we called a vet out to carve a cow at two in the morning i thought it was really exciting and i still did till i was about mm. 20 realized that poor bloody vet must have been as miserable as him when we rang him to come out to the middle of nowhere and carve a kicking suckler cow that was going to try and take his head off um, <laughs> you know I, really i remember one night a guy came out and did a cesarean and my dad said oh i've just got another cow springing a bit and i did another one and I thought I thought it was the biggest night of my life that two cesareans and, and suckler cows. We weren't we weren't a big dairy business, you know. We just had beef cows, and it, and I thought that was a fun, most exciting night on the farm we'd ever had. And now I think back at that poor bloody vet, I thought, oh, I'm not. I've just done a cesarean. Don't bring me another calving cow. But, <laughs> but what? What? Anyway, getting on to what I was going to say was, 
when, I said, when kids at school and you're thinking I want to be a vet, I said, did you never imagine it just being you, the animal and the owner and you sorted it? Was that not part of your dream? Because if you don't do out of hours, that's almost never going to happen. It'll Absolutely. Be you and the other vet and the client, or it'll be you helping another vet and the client, or it'll be you and two nurses and the client. You'll never have that thing where you got the phone call, you went down, you, you worked out a plan, you put it into action, it worked, the client went home with the animal alive, and he sent you a letter to say thanks very much, and it was all you're doing. The, and that, yeah. you know, there's not that many of them happen, but I think it's I think it's the thing that we'll sit in our chairs when we're 75 and remember they were the days, you know, they were the, the, that, that thing would have been dead but for me. I think you're absolutely right. And some of my best anecdotes are from on-call nights. I mean, I've, I've got a, a line of stitches that long, or a scar that long on my uh, on my leg, where a horse unzipped my tibia uh, out of hours one night. And, and you know, I, I still managed, I, I limped back to the car, got a bandage on, still managed to stitch it up before I went home and stitched myself up. And, and the client was there with a torch because there were no lights on. And it was... It was real you know, yeah. blood and tears, quite literally stuff, yeah. but it was great, really good. Yeah. Even now, you're in a dinner party, which I've been to a dinner party for about a decade, but I presume it's <laughs> still going uh, uh, literally long before COVID. But, great food segments, the lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. But you go into a group of people and you're talking and, and somebody says, ah, no, no, what's your name and what do you do for a living? And you say, well, I'm a veterinary surgeon. There is a momentary pause. There still is when you say that. And everybody still thinks that person's life is a bit different to mine in a way that I really understand it. Because they, they think, you know, out of hours, they think about out of hours and on call and, and they think about they think about the old Harriet stuff and rolling around on the ground and blood and steam and water, hot water. And crap everywhere. We, yeah. What we do is alien, almost entirely alien, unless they're a doctor or a physio or something. It's almost entirely alien. So there's a momentary pause. And part of it is because we do live a lifestyle that's different to them. I give up my weekends. I worked all day. I worked, I worked 24 hours on Christmas Day, this Christmas. Right? Never, my, my, daughter-in-law, my daughter and son-in-law put on Christmas dinner, and I was in the surgery for 10 hours that day. So I saw them for about an hour the whole of Christmas Day. So, and I was on duty all night, and I was still working at 11 o'clock. So we have a different life. Now, the thing is that we revel slightly, secretly, in the fact that people think, ooh, that's, yeah. that's, right, that's quite yeah. a thing. I'm proud of it. I always have been. If you start clocking on at quarter nine and clocking off at quarter past five, making a good old middle-class salary, driving a nice big car, and living in a four-bedroom sort of like you know, executive house like everybody else, then people will stop thinking that. You'll just yes. be the you'll just be the bloke who goes down to surgery and it's nice and warm and, and, and lives a nice lifestyle and actually isn't that put out. And I think people don't realise how much they're going to miss the reverence that we've been held in for generations when we just become a workaday bloke, woman who just tips up and does the job and goes home and comes from time to night. Robin, you, you are aware that there are other ways to avoid having to sit down for Christmas dinner without having to work for 10 hours <laughs> at the practice all day. I love that one. I love that one that was on, on Twitter, wasn't it? Where the guy said, I understand if the family get together at Christmas and the police could come and, and take them all away. So, is this free or do you have to pay for it? <laughs> you, Brilliant. You've touched on a couple of things there, Robin. And, and one of them is, is employing new grads and, and helping them and, and getting them through and, and bringing them, encompassing them and, and sort of nurturing them into veterinary life and, and general yeah. life. Do you still do your mentoring? Did you not? Were you not involved in in mentoring and holding well, sort of yeah, well, meetings? Yeah, within the practice, we have regular. We, we we try very much to have reflective meetings. So we get the people who are sort of under five years graduated. We try and get together. You know, what, what's 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 mystified you? What's unusual? Or I might just say, look, you know, one of the big things I learned when I was twenty seven was this, and don't wait all your life to learn this. You know, don't make this mistake. You know, but I think one of the big things we can do is just cut, knock the corners off the job and say, look, don't do this, and don't do this, and don't do this. And that's three mistakes you won't make that I've already made. You know. So we do that. Interestingly, the way all my BVA stuff started was because I was I was railroaded into the Lancashire Veterinary Association because it was struggling for people to be on council. And, and, and as it happened, you know, it always happens, hotel bar, arm around the shoulder. And next thing you know, you're on the council of the Lancashire Veterinary Association. David Catlow and I realised that the Lancashire Veterinary Association was really struggling. We couldn't get 
members to go to meetings in the evenings. It was the beginning of the end for the for, for most divisions. I know Central still going fairly well and Yorkshire still going fairly well, but most of these divisions sort of died on the on, withered on the vine. And we saw Lancashire going that way. And we thought, well, you know what the answer is? It's to change its modus operandi altogether and to go for the young graduates, make it a recent graduate meeting group. And we were on the cusp of trying to think how to do that when David became president of the BBA some years before I did. And he went out to London and really, I think, I may be, I may be um, underselling BBA's contribution to this, but so I took the notion down to London and BBA ran with it. And then within about a year, we got a thing out, back out to the region saying, does anybody want to be trained to be a facilitator for recent graduate meetings? And I put my hand up straight away. And I went and got trained as a facilitator. Um, and I put through the training and Amelia, uh, who works at BBA still, was running that show then. And we went down, we were trained to be mediators. And we set, and we started running recent graduate meetings in Lancashire. And out of that grew my involvement in BBA and wider BBA. And the next thing you know, you're on a committee and from then you go, and the next thing you know, here you are. But it, but it all started from recent graduate support. And, it's, and, it, and it helped me because my approach to BBA was always like, it was always a sort of a representative supportive thing. I wasn't much into, um, I've never been thinking, I've never been for the regulatory side of things really. I didn't, I've never really fancied going on council for RCBS council, but I loved the idea of representation and being a voice for people and being a, being a sounding board for people and, 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 and just, you know, doing the same thing on a bigger scale, telling people what not, you know, what not, what, what silly things not to do that I've already yeah. done. Um, so that yeah, it, it sort of morphed out of all that, and it's, and it's and I still that's the thing I love. I'm still you know I'm a, I'm chair of the um, alumni association of Liverpool University. And we're just literally now in the throes of setting up some um, undergraduate, recent graduate meetings for them to talk to each other. What I learned doing it was actually people like me can't do recent graduate meetings because we're the wrong people. I knew as, as soon as I started doing it, I could tell we're the wrong people. You need it seeded by you need you need slightly more mature graduates. To, to, to organise meetings for brand new graduates. You don't want people 40 years old organising meetings and thinking to know what to tell people who are 26, 23, 26, because the environment, I mean, I didn't have a student loan. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have the same CPD requirements. I mean, my, my, my experience of being 23 to 27 was entirely different to theirs. And, and my frame of reference is wrong. So, so much as we could help with logistics, you need younger people to be. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The, not only has the job changed, life itself has changed. The expectations, the angsts have changed, haven't they, that the, the people have? You know, that these days, well, when I qualified 25 years, 25 years ago this year, actually, I was, uh, I was on call two days after, after starting. It was a baptism by fire. But it, there was a real sort of gung-ho nature about it. And right, and I rolled my sleeves, I could get on with it. These days... Graduates, and, and through no fault of their own, are, are terrified. Day one, they're terrified that every single person they see is going to pick up that they don't know everything and yeah. they're going to be sued. And it's those two things, isn't it, they're worried about. Yeah. I don't remember being scared. I remember being exhausted. I don't remember really mm. being scared. And I was like you, I went to work in, and I made a mistake. My first job was a mistake. I, 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 I made the mistake of taking a job because I was so flattered that the guy offered me a job. Um, that I just said, yeah, thanks. You know, first interview, first offer of a job. There's only me and him. So I went to mixed practice instruction with another guy, and that, just me and him. And he said to me, right, when there's work for two, we'll both do it. When there's work for one, you'll do it. And I was full of work at 23. I thought, yeah, fine by me. And also, he was going to pay me a £1,000 more than I'd heard anybody else gain. So I thought, oh, this is great. Well, hey, quid's in there. What? Yeah, what? <laughs> Thousand pounds after tax spread out over a year, it wasn't worth it. Um, <laughs> uh, um, but but I, the princely sum of eight grand was what I started. Um, anyway, <laughs> I went down there. Well, what I hadn't done because I was naive and I, was, I remained very naive was I didn't ask him who was going to decide when the work was too much for one, and uh, <laughs> it, it was him. <laughs> um, oh. it was, the thing was, the other thing was, the guy was 61 in 1985 when I went down there, and he'd been in the war, he'd been in Burma in the war. And the guy had been shot at by the Japanese. So he didn't know what, why you would possibly get anxious about carving a heifer cow, you know. <laughs> so, so, in fairness, he was a super veterinary surgeon. He could do orthopedics, he could carve cows, he could do sedans. He was very much ahead of his time. And he went out to work, I'm not kidding, in a white shirt, a Royal College tie, and a blue blazer, and, and tan chinos and, and business shoes. He put a carving gown on top of it, and he went to work, and he came back, and he was immaculate. 
when, when I came back to our mixed practice, what I found was that young fan bets, a bit like me, how much crap you got on yourself was a mark of honour. You know, you come back yeah. to birth and blood, you had bits of placenta behind your ears and stuff. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And they'd stay on all through evening yeah. surgery, wouldn't they? He, yeah. he would never have any of that. He was immaculately turned out all the time, very smart. I read something that you said or wrote as, as BVA president about euthanasia. You you see yourself, and, and all small animal practitioners, and forgive me for misquoting you, you, you see yourself as a specialist in euthanasia. And yeah, you yeah. say, if we're not specialists, th- th- then we shouldn't be small animal vets. because well, that's... No. well, I tell you, you'll never be happy. You'll never be no, happy. No, never be happy, right. You'll never be content in your work as a small vet unless you're a specialist. Because what I was getting at is, that, you know, and it's, I think we're, we're, we're getting over this now, but this idea that, like, specialism is what veterinary medicine really is, that's where that's where veterinary medicine really goes on, and what we do is a poor relation of it. And I think it's entirely the bloody opposite. We, I, you know, if we weren't here doing the donkey work, there wouldn't be any specialists. We, there'd be nobody to refer things to you. They wouldn't be there at all. So, yeah. you know, my great friend John Innes and people like that, wonderfully capable, fantastic people, but they, they they would be nowhere without us because we provide the work for them by making triaging and making decisions and judgments and, 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 and hopefully sensibly moving things on to higher levels of expertise. But we are veterinary medicine. And, and all those animals that we refer up to the specialists for the wonderful work that they do, if, if they get beyond the pale, they don't put many of them to sleep. We put them to sleep. They come back to us. The end of life decisions are our decisions. And how you manage that is so important. And it is... Really? A, specialism of the general practitioner is it's not youth, you know, end of life management talking turkey to people telling being honest i was working this morning in burnley and an old guy comes in with his with his 16 year old jack russell and he's drinking a lot of water and he isn't eating much um and we had a long talk we took no blood samples we took no we did no ultrasounds we had a long talk about what he really wanted out of the rest of his life and what he'd had before and where it was now what the prospects were what the likelihood of a good result was if i went through these things and in the end, we put it to sleep. And I said, like, dogs, that dog's lived 16 and a half years. He's been poorly for 48 hours of them. I think that's a great result. Isn't right? that amazing? Yeah, yeah. I know. And, yeah. And, and, and the thing is, you could have, you could easily have justified it. And, and it, was, it would have been reasonable to blood test it and do all the other things and figure out what was up with it. But he knew, I could tell him, that 70, 80% chance I'm going to find something I can't fix. And if yeah. I can fix it, it'll be very temporary. Is that what you want? Do you want that? You know, what do you want out of this? What do you call a win? I think it's one of the things I talked to my graduates is before you embark on whatever plan you've got, establish what the client thinks a win is first. Because yeah. a lot of yeah. people don't like complaints, concerns that we get from clients and, and big frustrations we get from clients is because we got misaligned. What we thought was a win wasn't what they thought was a win. And when we thought we'd won, they were still disappointed. And they well, that's, that's our problem. That's our mistake for not aligning ourselves with the client's needs and wants. So it's, you know, an extra two or three minutes establishing exactly what the client wants before you decide what you're going to do as a clinician. Yeah, and, and and not being afraid to ask those those questions. Okay, I've been in practice for thirty five years. I've seen dogs and cats die of everything they can die of. I've seen them run over, shot, electrocuted, fallen off bridges, drowned, starved to death. Kidney and that face. was just one cat. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad Saturday night. Yeah. So, but I've seen it all, right? And I've also, in, in, in between seeing all those things all those years, I've also put innumerable animals to sleep. And what I know now, without a shadow of doubt, being put to sleep is better than all of them. There isn't a way yeah. of dying. Yeah. There is not a way of dying, and I defy anybody to tell me the one there is, that is, that is better than being put to sleep. There might be some that are broadly similar if you, if you bleed to death or you know, quietly when, you, when, you, when you're barely, barely conscious, you know, maybe. But it won't be any better. And, it, and almost invariably, they're worse. So it's, it's like that old joke, isn't it, about the uh, guy who says, I, "When I when I die, I want to die in my sleep, like my grandfather, not not screaming and crying like the thirty people on his bus." <laughs> uh, yeah. there's, there's a couple of things. I see guys coming. I've got tarmacers. I've got scaffolders. I live in East Lancashire. I've got big, tough fellas coming to me regularly. Farmers, all they all come to me, and they'll come in and they look like they're holding it together. Dogs could be doing something, you know, seizuring, or you know, it's, it's, it's de- desperately injured, or it's, it's pyrexic and it's got a burst of internal abscess. It could be in a desperate state, and, it, and the dog looks really distressed. The guy's holding together, so I think the old dog wants to put it to sleep. You know, bit of talk. I, said, I think you're right. We put it to sleep. Now I'm concentrating on my job, looking at the dog, and suddenly the dog's absolutely fine. 
it looks fast asleep. All the juddering and the panting, everything, all the noise, everything stopped. And, it, and the, everybody says the same thing. It looks like, oh, it looks like he's asleep. Well, he does. It looks fast asleep. You look up and the bloke's in bits. Yeah. The bloke came in holding together. He's now his lips going, and his tears coming down his face, he's in big oily hands, and he's doing it this. And I, I've seen this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and the significance didn't dawn on me for a long time, but now it does, right? So what happens is, you've got this animal with a terminal condition, can't beat it no matter how long it lives. You put it to sleep, and that lifts off that dog, and it lands on that bloke, and he goes out with the pain he didn't come in with. The dog stays with you without a pain that it did come in with. And what you've done is you've flipped it, you've turned a disease into grief. And that's a transition that's really important because you can manage grief. Yeah. You can get yeah. over it. You'll, you will get over it. And so I say grief, I said, grief is a normal, healthy yeah. response, isn't it? And our job isn't to take that grief away, no, it's no, no. to take away any guilt. You're supposed to be sad. You're not really supposed to be, you're not supposed to feel guilty about it. No. And what I say to them is, right, okay, so like, so you're going to do this dog a favour because you've got two choices. You can look at this dog in distress and you can stay feeling reasonable or you can relieve it from this distress and feel crap. It's your choice, mate. And, they, and, and I say, but the bravest thing is take it. Because so if you don't take it, you've got, to, you've got to accept that you're not prepared to take it and you want the dog to keep it. And they say, oh, yeah, right. So, and I said, the other thing is, you're going to go home, you're going to feel wretched. In two days' time, you'll wake up and think, I'll take the dog for you. Oh, I've got no one. And you'll feel rotten. I said, and remember, when you feel rotten, it's because the dog doesn't. That's the reason. Lovely and, way to put it. Yeah, yeah, that's a really lovely way to put it. There's loads. I mean, I do really feel it's a massively, massively important part of what I do and, and a massively important part of what I try and teach younger vets because it took me 25 years to distill these sort of meanings out of what goes on. You know, people come in and say, we all don't want to put to sleep. And you say, fair enough. There's no shilly shally. They know exactly what they want. And you put it to sleep. And in the in the hiatus after you've done it, so often, and any vet you talk to and you'll recognise this, they'll say, oh, I'm glad I did that. And I say, well, why, why do you say that? They say, well, I had one I had one 20 years ago, you know, and I, I kept it too long. Kept yeah. it too long. Yeah. And I, ne- I, said, I, I, never, I said, I'd never do that again. And I'm really, I, I kept it too late. That's what you always hear, isn't it? I kept yeah. it too but late. This, but, but the significance of that is 20 years ago. They've never forgotten. Mm. So I said to you, right, so you've got this memory of this dog. You think, wow, it was a great dog, was that? And bolted onto it is this guilty feeling that you kept it to. So my job is to make sure you don't have that. Yeah. But when you think about this dog, this particular one, you're going to think, that was a great dog, and that is it. And you went it. just at the right time. Yeah, yeah. And, and I feel that. and reconciled to it. I said, and if I'm reconciled to it, then you should be able to be. And my job in the t- half an hour I've got, is to make sure that you feel like this, like I do. Before we do it, we need to be on the same page. And if we don't get on the same page, we sometimes delay. Yeah. So well, yeah. it's just a bit of thought. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, if it's, if it's a humani- humane thing, you have to do it. But sometimes we'll say, right, well, we're not quite there yet. Let's just come back to this. Give it, we'll do this and this, give it 24 hours. Because sometimes that's just too big a deal to, to, to go within half an hour. It is. You know? It is. And I, I've, often said to clients recently look you know, we'll have a think about it between us we'll have a think about it because then it divides it up doesn't it it makes it a a joint decision not just on their hands or just on my hands we'll both think about it and we'll chat again tomorrow when i got my dog little eight week old labrador puppy i knew and i tell clients this when i'm when i said i knew that the day i got it i knew i'd put it to sleep absolutely definitely because i'd never mm. let it down I'd never let anybody else do it. If I was still alive, I was going to do it. And I lived with that its entire life. Never bothered me one iota. And I put him to sleep down the bottom of the field, outside this window. I had a whiskey, dug the hole. We went down the field. He was absolutely jiggered by then. He was 14 and a half years old. His back legs had gone, but he, he couldn't walk on grass just. So we walked down the field and I dug the hole. Lorna, my wife, said, you can't take him to dig the hole. I said, of course I bloody can. If I, if I planted a tree or dug a grave, it, it, it'd come with me. So he sat there, I dug this hole. It's clay to me all bloody morning. <laughs> He sat there by this hole, dug this hole, and when I, and I, I texted Lorna when I dug the hole, she came down with, with, with some beers, some treats for him, sandwich for me. He had some treats, I had a sandwich, I had a beer. I, I sedated him while he was having his treats. He went half asleep, I put him asleep and I rolled him in the hole. And I miss him to this day, but I have never regretted it. I got up the following morning and I felt absolutely... It really is a, a wonderful part of our job to yeah. be able to stop that suffering and, and stop any guilt. I often feel really privileged to be allowed to be part of that family's grief. 
Oh, God, it yeah. sounds like a It's actually when you when you see death, what you see is the love associated with that with that being. Yes. You know, this is this is all getting incredibly heavy for a, for a very yeah. rambling, but it's good stuff. It really is good stuff. But I wonder whether we could lighten the mood uh, a little bit. And I, I, a little a little birdie. Before I forget, because I was going yeah. to say this completely out of context, but when we were talking about going on the farms, one of the funniest stories another vet told me was. Young vet qualifies, his, his, his dad's a vet, and a young vet qualifies, and so he's been, he's been seeing practice with his dad for ages. So then, now he's qualified, and so he gets in the car, and his dad sends him out on his first job down to this farm, and he gets out of the car, and the, and the old farm says, what are you doing? He said, I've come to look at your cow. He said, no, I, didn't. I, rang, I rang for your dad. He said, well, I'm qualified now, I'm not a student anymore, and dad said, come down and have a look at his cow, and, and uh, you know, I've got all the gear. He said, I'm not interested, mate. He said, I've asked for your dad, I'm paying for your dad, I want your dad. Get back in your car, get back to the practice, and tell your dad I want him. And the lad's crestfallen. He says, but he said, no, no boots and boats. He said, not interested. Get back up to the surgery, tell your dad, I pay his bills, get him down here. And the poor lad has to put his bag back in the car, 97 point turn in the yard. He's got the window down. And the farmer, just as he's going out of the yard, the farmer leans in and says, and you can tell your dad, I only want him because your granddad's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! Yes. That's excellent. <laughs> so you're, you're into you're into photography, aren't you, Robin? Photography. Become so. I, I, I was a bit when the kids were little. I bought myself a decent camera, and when it when it when the old-fashioned film SLR camera died, and everything went digital, I have a very 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 bad relationship with computers. But then this spring, I started doing a lot more. You know, we were stuck at the house all the time. And, and uh, I'd take my holidays, but I couldn't go anywhere. And I was paranoid. I mean, I literally never left the house. I didn't leave the house from March till July. Apart from going to work, I never went to a shop. I never went to a, a pub. Yeah. And when it was open, I didn't go. I didn't go anywhere. And I started watching the birds. I mean, I've always been interested in the birds, but now I've started watching them because I said, I'm honest, I want to get some decent gear. So I bought myself a decent digital camera, a decent lens. And I bought a hide. I put it down the bottom of the field. I constructed a feed. We, we built, between us, we built a thing to hang out. I've got a bird feed that's about five foot long. Yeah. And I built frame for it um, that stands up in the trees so it keeps all the big corvids off I feed them I feed them I feed them on the ground but and now I sit in this hide I've been in there today and I just sit in there for hours and hours just watching them behave and learning what they do and, and, and I, I know birds have been doing stuff in my field for 18 years I didn't realise and now I know what they're going to do next I know who's going to come next I know the bullfinches always come in pairs you know, I know, I know I, I'm becoming quite chummy with all my birds and, and, and I've started taking pictures and, and, and that, you know, Instagram and Twitter and stuff. And it, you know, social media has become really important. I'm a bit of an addict, but this 12, last 12 months, you can see I'm talking, I talk all the time. Right? This is, this is, this will be my ideal evening. It's my idea of, of, of just heaven, really. So Twitter became really important. So now, for instance, I take a picture of a, of, a, of a wren. I took a wren this afternoon. I thought it's a belting picture. Stick it on Twitter. And people I'm in touch with in Scotland who I've never met, people I'm in touch with in the other part, you know, some really top flight wildlife photographers, other people who are biologists and some people who are just, just acquaintances, they say nice things about it. And it gives you a massive lift. It, it does massive. nice buzz. Really? Nice buzz, yeah. And it's that human interaction again, isn't it, that we're yeah. all devoid yeah. of at the moment. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah. Have you set yourself a target of a, of a different uh, a different one every day? Then is this? Uh... No, it's with my bird of the day. No, it's yeah, what, yeah. I do, what I do is if I'm if I'm in the hide and I take pictures, if there's one that I really like, that's bird of the day. But the thing is, what I realised in terms of this, it's always taken on the day that I post it. So right, one of, it's one that I took today, and it and I, I did it one day because I was a bit tickled because I saw I think a sparrow or something. And I thought, so I put it up. And I was, you know, mm. so I was thinking about these things, took it up, and. Sally, a friend of mine at BBA, said, look, you know, if you're going to do this, you have to say what they are. So I said, okay. So then I started. And then I thought, actually, you don't have to wait for the spectacular, you know, Sparrowhawk mobbed by jackdaws. You know, you don't actually really look really closely at a blue tape very often. And I can get, and I can be sat five feet away with a 300 millimeter lens. It's like, it's like that big. And I'm amazed what they look like, you know. So I think, well, I'm going to stick this up there and I'm going to say this is bird of the day. And I'd say what it is because there are people who wouldn't realise that a great tip looks like that. Or you see, my bird of the day was a great tip today. But it could go a week and I don't do it. And, and, and if it's, I'm not going to put rubbish on there because I'm too proud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll stick them up there because I, I love it. And I think, well, it's just, 
there's a lot of, you know, you turn your computer on, you open up Twitter, you open up Instagram, and there's some stuff that you don't really want to see. And you think, well, if you stumble on my stuff, then you might you might like it, or that, that sort of stuff. And it, water, it waters down my rants that people don't like. As, as, as a fellow <laughs> photographer, Robin, I have to say that uh, you're getting some really impressive shots, and if anybody wants to uh, wants to see some of these lovely shots of uh, British wildlife and small birds, then uh, check Robin Hargreaves out because it's worthwhile doing. The only problem with taking pictures of birds is they move quickly. I'm like, oh, I took that picture of a sloth for precisely the reason <laughs> I, could, I could get the everything yeah, set up. The, 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 the colobus was, was, was in a reverie and, and the snow leopard was pretty much asleep and, and the clam didn't bloody move. So, you know, yeah. they're, they're my, my uh, <laughs> media. They're, they're great. They don't move. Birds are fine tricky because you, 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 you see it. And you just about take a picture and something. Yeah, you know, I'm listing my birds. I've got brown blur. I've got blurry brown thing. I've got bluey brown blur, and I've got I've got I've got ready brown thing that shot past. And I don't know what that is because of this pretty thing. This wind, and you can never see the damn things. So when you freeze on a photograph and get detail, you see stuff. Yeah, no, it is. I've been looking at little birds all my life, and I see detail now. I never realised was there. No, I, yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that. Dunnocks have got really bad feet. They've all got all the dunnocks have got like bumblefoot like lesions on the on the joints. If you thought, yeah, I thought I can I could I could if I if I if I took the time now I could identify every every dunnock in my garden because they're, they're all different. But they've all got arthritic septic arthritic joints on the feet. And if, and I look it up and apparently they're very prone to bumblefoot. God, and you'd never know that in a million years, would you? I no, know. I didn't. I didn't know that. Anybody in particular can't do anything about it. Uh, but uh, I know it now. Didn't you? Oh wow! You were talking about out of hours earlier uh, uh, because I said this is potentially globally available. I hesitate to say this, but I have said I tell this story as a lesson to young graduates. It's a bit about that thing about being on your own and having to make your own mind up about stuff. So one of my very difficult clients, who I didn't like and I didn't get on with, who bred, was trying to breed the smallest teacup Yorkie in the world. And they would have Kayla Tiella and all sorts of other things. And it was a very unpleasant environment that they lived in. She brought me this dog down and, I and it was whelping. It wasn't getting anywhere. And I x-rayed it and it had a one puppy inside it. And it was so big, it looked like a dog inside a dog. And so I said, I said, it's never going to, never, ever going to have this puppy. It's going to have to be a cesarean. Well, she was very indignant about this because of the cost of it and didn't want this operation. But she sort of grudgingly said, well, go on. And no, no, no appreciation of it being 11 o'clock. So I said, well, okay, we'll get on and do that, shall we? She said, yes, get on with it. Give me a ring when it's done. And just stomp down. And so I thought, right, we'll crack on. It's not going to waste any time on this. So I put the basket on the floor and I thought, I'll get everything ready. Instead of waiting for the nurse to get everything ready, I'll, I'll, do the, I'll get the hot water bottles and I'll get, get the vaporizer set up. I've got everything set up. So that when she came in to help me, all we had to do was knee start the dog and get the job done. So basically she arrived and said, right, we're all ready. I whipped the dog out of the basket. We used to mask them down in those days. So I masked it down with halothane, turned it over, clipped it, opened it, nothing inside it. Empty. What's going on? So then I look in the basket, puppies in the basket, wick as anything. Had it half an hour ago, I didn't notice. <laughs> puppies alive and kicking in the basket. What do you do? What do you do? So you couldn't write it. I said, it's a perfect dilemma. Do I ring her up and say, good news, live puppy, that'll be 250 pounds? Or do you ring her up and say, I've screwed up? And I had to. You've got to be honest, haven't you? Yeah. You've got to so be honest. Yeah. And look, good news, bad news. Good news is puppy's fine, bitch is fine. Bad news is I opened it up and it wasn't there. Uh, I'm really sorry. I said, well, obviously, they won't be any charge. And I feel a bit of an idiot. And she unloaded on me in a big way. But fair enough, I made a screw up. And she went home with a life and dog. And she came back the next day, um, the day after, I can't remember the day after. And she, and she came to the front door and she, she, she took it. I said, That bitch had the puppy in the basket, didn't it? I said, Yeah, it did. I told you it did. She said, Ah, well, I knew it did. I said, Well, because I told you. She said, No, no, no. So because all the green stuff was in the back of the basket. And so I thought, I could have said I delivered it myself and I would have been found out. Yeah. And what I tell people at the time is, you look an idiot. I looked an idiot for about 10 minutes. Yeah. And I took it on the chin. And that lady's dead now. You know, she's old, she's old, and she's dead now. She's gone. But I looked an idiot for 10 minutes and that's, that was the end of it. If I'd have lied to her and she told everybody she lied, I lied to her, she could have been dead long since. Everybody she told would still know I was a liar. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, you're, better off You're always better off just I taking want... it on the chin, as you say, and saying, look, 
hands up, I'm, I made an error. We're all yeah, human. Yeah. I did it. Yeah, I, I've, I, never had, I've never had to own up to anything quite so dramatic since. And I said, well, and, and, and nobody in my practice had to do it. I said, so I'm the worst. Right? I've, I've made the biggest mistake. <laughs> so it sounds yeah. made up. No, it's a true yeah. story. We, we, all, we all make mistakes. And, and uh, all we can ever do is to be honest yeah. with them. And actually, clients, I, I made a mistake once, just once. Um, <laughs> on, on an orthopedic op, and um, the, the, the dog ultimately was all was all right, but but I had to do another piece of surgery to correct it. And, and I said to the owner, he said, "Yeah, what? Why? Why do you need to the other surgery?" And I'll be honest, I used the wrong implant. You know, I, I shouldn't have done uh, for whatever reason. I did, mm. and I, I, I feel a bit of a tit. Oh, stupidly, I, I should have done didn't work I'm gonna do it again and we use the the right implant for the right dog and you know there's still a chance it might go wrong but anyway it went it went fine it went fine and do you know that client it, it took about three years for me to stop worrying whenever the client came in but he was okay from from day one after that and, and he he now he comes in and sees me in preference to all the other vets. Uh, I think just because I, I didn't bullshit him. Displaying a bit of humanity isn't, isn't, isn't a bad thing. It's, it's not a bad thing at all. No. no. I don't know how long you want, I don't know you want to talk for, but I've got a story I want to tell you. Oh, come oh. on. Go on then. Oh, yeah. on, I always tell this story, and, I, and I, I would kick myself if I didn't get a chance to tell this story. So tell this story at the end of all my bits of talks. It's it's veterinary ramblings, Robin. Everything's okay. Absolutely true, and I just love it because actually it's a funny story, really. But but it, there's so many learnings in it, right? So this gets. I'm working in Leeds. I've, I've done this farm job for two years. I got exhausted. I was going to get married. Lorna was earning more money than me, so I thought, well, I better go where she is. She was in Keithley, so I come back up north. Couldn't get a farm job anywhere nearby, and I needed one quickly. So I thought, I'll just have to wing it, and do a small animal job for a bit. So I got a job in Leeds. So this lady comes down with this dog, this cat, and she's worried about it because it's swelling up. It's abdomen swelling up. So I examined this cat, and it was it painfully obvious within a minute or two what was up with it. And I said, "Well, don't worry." I said, "It's, it's going to be fine." I said, "Because your cat's pregnant. That's what it is." It was very advanced stage of pregnancy. It's only about nine months old. And I said, "So that's what it is." Um, and she said, "Oh, it isn't." She said, "It's not." I said, "Well, I think it is." Said, no, it's not. It can't be. I said, "Well, why, why do you say that?" So it's never been out. It's never been out of the house. I've had it since it was eight weeks old. So that's what it's definitely pregnant. So I humoured her a bit. I said, look, you know, if, if it hasn't been out, something's been in. She said, no, she said, for the same reason it hasn't been out, nothing's been in. She said, I have locked the windows when I got this kitten and I've never unlocked them. And I've got two doors at the front of the house. I open one, I stand in the porch, I shut the door behind me, I open the outside door, I go out, I do exactly the same coming back. I'm paranoid about the cat getting out and the fact that the cat can't get out means there's absolutely no chance of a cat getting in. So I'm starting to doubt myself now. Have I got this right? So I'm getting hold of it again. Money pop it under the ultrasound scanner in those days, I'm just palpating it, but it's not, it's definitely pregnant. So then she's got a bit shirty with me because I'm obviously an idiot because it's not pregnant, and I'm telling her it is over and over again. Um, and I'm thinking she's an idiot because it's pregnant, and she's telling me it isn't over and over again. And we're getting a bit of loggerheads. So we had to I sort of take time out. I said, Well, take a break. I said, Look, I don't know what's happened, and I'm not calling you a fool, I'm not denying any of the things you're telling me. So, but all I can tell you as a professional is sometime in the last six or seven weeks, this cat has met another cat. And that's just a fact. Now we have to figure out how that's happened. And she said, well, there's only a brother, but he wouldn't do a thing like that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the God's honest truth. And we've been yeah. at it 40 minutes by then. And <laughs> at, the time, at the time, I thought, I'm going to tell this story the rest of my life. But the, the learning from that was, you've got to dig to get a history. Yeah. And you've got to, you've got to ask the right questions in the right order. And if you don't get a plausible story, you've got to go back and ask him a different way. Because if you don't, if you don't stack up, you haven't got the history. Go back it's, and do it again. True. It's true. Where, I, had, I, had a, I had a case a few years back that I was sure was a, a food allergy. And uh, I spoke to the owner for a long, long time about what he fed his dog. And, and um, said, look, what we're going to do for the next eight weeks is we're going to try this, um, this stuff, ZD, you know, other other hypoallergenic foods are available, but um, we'll try this stuff, AD, and we'll see. So don't, don't feed your dog anything else. Just having this some water, and, and, and we'll see it back. And I saw it back in a couple of weeks' time, and the skin was no better. And I said, well, okay, it's only a couple of weeks. Let's, let's keep going. I saw it back a month later. Worse, if anything. And I, I said, look, 
I'm, I'm sorry, I'm obviously wrong, but I was convinced it was a, a food allergy. Very unlikely it's allergic to, to the ZD. Let, maybe, maybe it's coming up with, um, with a, uh, an allergy to, to something else in the house. Let's go through your daily routine. What, what do you do? So let's start from, you know, first thing in the morning, what happens is, well, I get up and, uh, and we have our cup of tea. Don't, don't we, Doris? <laughs> I said, well, when, when you say, have a, oh, yeah, we have a cup of tea and a digestive biscuit. Don't we? <laughs> oh, you said, I wonder if that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. When yeah. A lady came into our branch surgery and said, um, I need to take, I need a tablet for, for, the, for the dog. It's got worms. I said, well, what mm. things? Said, well, I'm seeing those rice grainy things in its, its poo all the time. I said, okay, well, that's probably tapeworm segments. And yeah, maybe you want to worm it. So we saw the very well recognized and reliable worming tablet, and she came back. Well, which ran around the reception said it's not, it's not got shut of these worms, so we so got a little did it again three or four weeks later, still not. And we had a number of calls, it said, I, I just keep seeing the it keeps on passing these segments all the time, and the tablets aren't working. So we tried something different that didn't do it, panic it, that didn't do it, give, give it very bright, didn't do it. So she came in, and then um, we're talking about it. I said, I'm stumped, I said, because these things just don't stop working, you know, they don't just stop working in that individual. I can't understand what's going on, why your dog isn't responding to worm treatment. I said, um, he said, well, you know, so it gets a bit loose now and again as well, and, and, but it's always passing these segments. I said, so what do you feed it? She said, chicken and rice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was, so it was so, the rice, it was passing it, but it was deep. Just like rice grains. That's, I know what they yeah. are. <laughs> if it looks like rice, it is rice. <laughs> just, check it, just check it's not rice. Yeah. Oh. Um, oh, as long as it's Rob, not really yeah Robin when when um, when Mike asked you to to be on the show did he mention anything at all about something called 60 second CPD he didn't oh. but I saw that you did it and I didn't think about it <laughs> well we, we don't want to put you on the spot except we kind of do right but we've only, only introduced one innovation to the veterinary profession which I don't think has been done by anybody else, but I stand to be corrected. If this goes, if this does get watched by, somebody will correct me on this. But I, well, do you want to do, 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 do that? Do you want to do that in sixty seconds? I'll take sixty seconds. <laughs> but I'll tell you what it is. It's it's very 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 useful. Yes. But it won't take sixty seconds. I don't think. <laughs> okay, so, let's have it. So start now. Okay. So you get cats with, with, with you think you've got flea allergic dermatitis, it might take 60 seconds. You think you've got flea allergic dermatitis. The problem with cats with flea allergic dermatitis, they've often got absolutely no evidence of fleas on them. Yeah. They're grooming so intently that they remove every every bit. And, and clients get very upset because they think it's a reflection on their their housekeeping if they have yeah. So they don't want it to have fleas and they get angry with you because you say it has got fleas and you can't find any evidence that it's got fleas. So you might, you're combing, 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 combing. You come up with one speck of black stuff off that camp. And you say it's flea dirt, and they say, why? I don't believe you. The way to prove it is you get a urine dipstick and you get an earbud, and you damp the earbud, and you pick up the piece of black, one little tiny speck of black on a wet earbud, and you put it on the blood square of a urine dipstick, and it goes dark green, nothing, and soil doesn't do it. <sighs> that is absolutely amazing. I, I think we Rep should do that. I, I, I Revolutionised dermatology that, for me. That. That's that's it, <laughs> and it makes parasitology interesting. That, I've got the clock <laughs> or dermatology. On. I haven't got the clock on. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, I've got I've got my clock here. That was well under sixty seconds, and I think that counts as sixty seconds worth of CPD. Whether it was truly sixty seconds or not, that's sixty seconds worth. CPD. Take home message. That's take home message from my one and a, one and a quarter hours of dermatology. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very proud. Of you. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Robin, we we've we've <laughs> covered. We've covered quite a lot of our breadth of England and, and, and including Italy with, with, with anecdotes and, and, and had a great ramble. I, I'm aware of the time and I wonder whether perhaps we ought to consider wrapping things up. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, 
and we when we wrap things up we we consider have we actually done enough veterinary stuff to say that we've we've done some cpd and i don't know about you i reckon we have tonight particularly yeah. that that, yeah. that flea blood and the um and the the ethics but, yeah the yeah it's, it's done it's done absolutely and I, I hope we would because I, i'd already prepared a, a cpd certificate <laughs> brilliant for tonight so if i if i talk you through this um it's it says certificate of certificateness this certifies that this certificate certifies what it needs to be certified, uh, which is that you've done some CPD. Certainly, uh, that reads it's like signed him and me. And um, and what have we got on here? We got we got some birds. So that's now that's a chuff. Is it? The, the reason I've uh, there we go. The reason I've put a photograph of a chuff. <laughs> well, you see, it's it's got these orange feet. Oh, I see. Okay. Characteristic, pink, uh, yellow, yellow beak and orange feet. And the reason I, I, I did that was because I knew that Mike was going to be talking about De La Salle. Uh, and, and my school uh, was uh, was a De La Salle school. Right. And the emblem of the school was, was three chuffs. You see, so there we go. That's that. And that's just, that's the world's largest seagull. I don't know if you've ever seen that in the garden. <laughs> it's bloody massive, that is. Uh, and there's... Um, uh, there's a little little finch I saw in the back garden the other day. Uh, no, I'm lying, actually. That, that was in a zoo yeah. in Jersey. Yes, I can see. And it was still enough for me to be able to get a picture of it. Yeah. The, the, the one thing we didn't have time to touch on t- today was um, uh, was obesity. Uh, although, my... Yeah. <laughs> well, we did. We were, anyway, we were yeah, that yeah. part of weight ratios, weren't we? I <laughs> know <laughs> when you were BVA president, you you said that the obesity shouldn't be classed as a disease. Well, in fairness, I wasn't. But I was. I was. A, I was an ex officer when I said that, so I was a free. I do apologise. Right, but, but you're absolutely right. If you class it as a disease, and it almost gives clients laissez-faire it, it gives them the option to say well it's not it's not my choice that my dog is fat it's a disease and so i thought um, we'll, we'll mention disease purely on the basis that, that there's there's a giraffe's bottom and is that giraffe overweight or what i mean look at that <laughs> well oh that's con- huge isn't it condition score seven isn't it no. yeah yeah yeah, um, and there's there's a there's a Satan's Belisus there. It's one of uh, one of the few uh, deadly poisonous uh, members of the Sept family. And the reason it's in there is that um, I have a crap computer, and when I put in euthanasia <laughs> in in my in my photo collection, it, it came up with that, which is perhaps a bit worrying. Uh, I'm actually, actually a little concerned here because because Robin's yeah. actually blushing quite quite profusely here, and I'm just wondering if that client that um, that sadly didn't <laughs> yes, yes. I think in fairness, it's it's the combination of a combination of a one can of junk <laughs> session IP session IP is only three now. Is it four point one percent? Four point one percent. Four point one percent. The fan heater. That's what I'm blaming on. And the fact, I mean, so much fun. I go red, I go red. That's, that's the colour. <laughs> and, and, and again, now this, this is from my own. All, all the photos yeah. are, are mine. I've never, never taken anything from uh, from the internet in case someone sues me. But there, there's a spider crab. crab and a megrim soul. Well, you know that, that's great, Julian. But you know, and and it's nice, Robin, that you're giving us the the, the sort of the the. the yeah, this is CPD and this is good, but it, it doesn't actually qualify to a proper CPD until, and you've mentioned it earlier this evening, we actually reflect on yeah. what yes. it is that... We've got to reflect. It's not CPD until so, we reflected. So yeah. if, if I could ask you to join us in a moment's reflection on the CPD that we have given and received so very gratefully from yourself this evening, please. Let's reflect. That's great. I'm genuinely reflecting. I'm reflective. But th- thanks, thanks for, for reflecting with us, Robin. And I think now anyone who wants this this CPD certificate can can download it. Yep. And um, and it'll go in their uh, go in their CPD files. I'd, I'd love to be on the, the, the CVS quality committee and receive the uh, receive <laughs> at least <gasps> one every rambling CPD certificate. 
Tell me this is worth two hours CPD. <laughs> it, it's, it's about this sort of time as well that I tell a really bad joke. Yeah, have you got one? I have, actually. It's, it's a, a Welsh, uh, Wales v Rugby game. Um, so Wales playing England. And, and just just before kick-off, the, um, uh, the Welsh fullback slips and pulls a hamstring really badly can't go on uh, and, and there's there's no uh, no substitutes available so the, the coach is desperate and in an unprecedented move that's a word we've heard a lot isn't it the last year an unprecedented move he calls out to to the spectators anyone here a fullback can anyone come on to to the the pitch and, and, and play just just for this match and there's silence and he's just about to say okay we'll, we'll, we'll call the match when suddenly there's this, ah, 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 and he looks around, and there's this goose running quickly onto the pitch. And he says, will someone get the goose off? And the goose says, no, 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 no I'm a fullback. He says, well, I'm a talking goose. I thought, I'm a fullback. I'll, I'll play. So well, I've got nothing else to lose. Go on, then you're on. And and they agree. The goose plays. And he's brilliant. He's really, really good. So, you know, he clears off in his own line. He makes some good cover tackles. He does fantastically. And, um, and at halftime, the coach is, is really chuffed. He's made the right decision. So they're, they're having their half orange and whatever, you know, little glass of uh, milk for the, for the goose. They're quite, quite partial to it. Uh, and then, you know, they, they, they go on and the coach says, OK, you can go on for the second half if you're up for it. And the goose says, yeah, absolutely. I'm fine. I'm good to go. And as he wanders on, the ref said, you know, I'm really impressed. I've never seen a goose play rugby before. And the guy said, oh, thanks very much. You're making me blush. And he said, no, really, you're quite fit, aren't you? So, well, yeah, do what I can. I've got much time. I've got a full-time job. So I go to the gym maybe half an hour every morning. And the ref says, full-time, what, what do you do? He said, well, I'm a chartered accountant. And the ref pulls his whistle out, blows his whistle, picks up a red card and says, right, you're off. You're off. And the guy says, what? And the coach says, bloody hell, that was a bit sudden. And the coach said, I'm terribly sorry. It's out of my hands. It's a professional foul. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I, one of the things I loved in my, my rugby career, although it was so cut, cut short so much, was, the, was the, the, the gentlemanly aspect of the game of rugby. And oh, that's great, yeah. The, the humility. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and speaking of this, it's a shame that this is going to go out when it does go out because... Last weekend, um, uh, we saw the, the start of the Six Nations rugby rugby tournament, and uh, you know, there's a fine line between international success and failure at rugby. Yeah, it's it's called Hadrian's Wall. Yeah. Can I tell you something serious if I can? Oh, <laughs> This is this is quite serious. I like, uh, <laughs> it's a bit late for that. Now, <laughs> he says, uh, wiping his eyes and trying not to laugh. Yeah, go no, on. This is serious. I've been trained <laughs> because um, the, the, a guy called um, uh, anyway, whatever, captain of, captain of uh, Scotland. He, he has started a, a challenge on the first of January to raise money for Doddy Weir's uh, uh, foundation. Doddy Weir played second row for Scotland and, and the Lions, yep. and he's now put neuron disease. Uh, and, wow. and sadly, people with motor neuron disease often aren't with us very long. And he's in the time that he's been diagnosed, he's raised three million quid so far. And wow. anyway, so um, so uh, his friend who uh, was captain of Scotland started a challenge on the first of January, and he did, and he, he set up regional teams in all the regions in Scotland. And you could the regional teams were their challenge was to exercise every day log up the miles and raise money. And they were going to, which team could log up the most miles and raise the most money. And it was in North Midlands, it was Edinburgh and Glasgow. And then he opened up and said, anybody can join. So I signed up with a friend of mine for the North Midlands. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been rowing on the Ergo Rower every day from the 1st of January and finished on the Friday before the Calcutta Cup game. That was the deal. Right. And it's nine-tenths Scottish lads. And people, well, not Scottish people, women, old men, kids have been doing it. All sorts of different things. And I, I can't run because I need to do it. So I, 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 go, so I row 20 minutes every day. 
But when my fundraising went over a thousand quid, I put it up to 22 minutes. When it went over 2,000 quid, I put it up to 23 minutes. I was doing 5,800 and some meters a day. Wow. To work wow. before. And in the end, I did 200,225 200, meters, uh, which is about 125 miles. And my mate, who's my age roughly and doesn't really run, ran 10K every single day and he clocked up 150 kilometers. And uh, we raised, now we've raised about 8,000 quid between us. That's fantastic. Um, but the thing was that it was all a Scottish initiative. And on the Friday night, when it was all over, they put on a bit like this. They put on a sort of a virtual, almost Hogmanay-type party. So there, were, there, was, there was music from people's houses, live music. There was Ali McCoyce was on there just chatting away. And, right. and people, they had a whiskey-tasting, wine-tasting, bit of a cookery demonstration. But it was all just a bunch of people having a laugh. And it went on from 6 o'clock to 11 o'clock. And, and basically, if you turn your Facebook Live on like this, got a few beers, you were there. And I went to this Scottish party on Friday night. It's the first party I've been to for a year, really. And I had an absolute ball. And honestly, it was disappointing with the game on the Saturday. But I've got so, I was so taken with all these Scots, Scotch guys and the effort they made. And by the end of the, of the 35 days, we'd raised about 1.1 million quid between us. Wow. In, wow. in, in, in 35 days. Fantastic. Uh, it is fantastic because I lost my closest school friend to MND when we were both fought. Um, and that was, you know, five years of, of hell, really, to watching that. And, um, well, well, I, that's wrong to say, because actually for the first three years, we, it was the most amazing bloke, and we had a great deal of fun, but it was it, it was very... In the nature of people who are ill, and I know other people who have got illness, the, their bravery is for us, isn't it? They yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah, so I learned about it. You know, people who are suffering, and people who are suffering now, they, they, they're brave. Not They're not brave themselves. They're probably cry when they're on their own but when they're with you they're brave because they don't want you to feel uncomfortable and that's what i learned about mnd and uh, and so we, we've raised a ton of money and i, and I lost eight pounds since the first of january in weight um and, uh, and, and and what it made me was was much more reconciled to the fact we got hammered by scotland because <laughs> I, I'd, I'd actually grown quite fond of them by the end of <laughs> Remarkably, <laughs> so I've I've used that as a balm for my injured soul in the last. Episode. So, so is there a is there a link that we can put on our on our there is, there is. page? There absolutely, that absolutely is. Is a just giving link if you want it. I, I can send it to you. And yeah, please do. I mean, the challenge yeah. is over, but the, the just giving links are still open. Because um, motor neuron disease is um, is a horrific, horrific illness. Amazingly, probably for in the last two or three weeks, I've heard of some progress. I mean, I've never heard, you know, there was no progress. And my mate Chris was going through it. He, Chris was amazing. He said this, the person he felt most sorry for was his specialist because they'd have seen him every about 12 weeks. And he said, I know he's got nothing to tell me. And he knows he's got nothing to tell me. And the poor guy has to sit there going through, going through his time. And Chris felt sorry for him because he couldn't tell him anything apart yeah. from what, that, that, you know, it was going to get yeah. worse, which it, which it, you know, it probably did. But um, we, had some, we had some wonderful times. I'll tell you a story. Probably do what you want. We went to London. Chris couldn't use his arms at all by this stage. You could just about stand up. In fact, I'm not even sure he could stand up on his own by then. We, we, we took him in the chair a few times and we, and we got a pitch, a pitch side place at, at Twickenham to watch the games. We got invited to the Rose Room after the game because we took him. It was, we had a great time when he, was, when he was able to go out with us. But he's in the hotel, in, 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 a, in, a, in a hotel, a Heathrow hotel. And, and another friend of ours, an ex teacher of ours, a great mountain of a man called Fern. So Chris says, Vern's in the bathroom in the hotel room. Chris says, Vern, I need to go in the bathroom. So men are not very communicative. So he said, okay. So he opened the door and he just basically got Chris, lifted him into the bathroom, put him in the shower, soaked him from head to foot, scrubbed him from head to foot, rinsed him off, roughly dried him with a big soft towel and chucked him back in the room again. And Chris got back in the room again and went, bloody hell, Vern, I only wanted a piss. (laughs) (laughs) Um, <laughs> <laughs> we had some good times, but I still. Anyway, sorry, I was, I was sort of hijacked you. No, 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 no. no that's, that's not at all hijack at all. It, it's um, it's a good cause uh, to be raising yeah, money for. Yeah. It's, it, isn't it amazing when you're in when like like you we all three are when you're involved in science and you, and you understand anatomy and you 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 imagine how much pathology has been done. To have a disease that can be so devastating and you don't know a damn thing about it, almost, you haven't got any kind of handle on what's happening. It's almost believed that the things can still be so mysterious. But they are going to crack it and they are making progress. And there was something from, from one of the Scottish universities, that I think they found out that the motor neurons shorten 
in my very simplistic way, they're not reaching where they need to reach to. Um, and the, once you start to chip away at it, they will get it. But it, 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 it's still sobering to think that that what we think we understand everything and we're well a long way. Yeah, yeah, we're a long way short on a lot of things like that. Yeah. So. I, I think it was I think it was Hubble. Uh, whenever Hubble was like 100 years ago, he said, we're getting to the stage where we almost know everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, not really. Not really. No. <laughs> no Brilliant. Yeah. Listen, Robin, thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I um, loved it. Anyway. It's been great super, fun. Thank super you. Super stories and. And if any of our listeners have enjoyed listening to uh, to our show and things that Robin's been sharing with us, then please click like, share, follow, subscribe, tell your friends. We're on Facebook, we're on Spotify, we're on YouTube, um, iTunes, any of the platforms that you're using. Share it with your friends. Send us a message. And if we, you want us to cover something, then drop us a line and we'll do our best to do that for you. So thank you very much indeed, Robin Hargreaves. I'll raise my glass of rum, well, my, my pot of rum here to you. Bless it. And may your dog go with you. May your dog go with you. Thank you. Cheers. It's been an absolute pleasure, chaps. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's thank fantastic. You. And cut. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Robert. Incredible. That's, that's amazing. Well. Absolutely incredible. And thanks for putting up with my joke. <laughs> I read it. Yeah, in all series, I've had a great time, and it is rare commodities. He's chatting. That, that's yeah. the thing that's really missing. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Thank you. 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 Thank you.